Hi, I'm Soz Foley and I'm sitting in my car at the moment to do the Bible reading for this week. I'm at work at the Adelaide Women's Prison. Obviously I can't take the camera inside the prison but you can just make out the razor wire on the, gut, on the fence in the background. Um, some of the women I meet through my work are waiting to have their trials or have been found guilty of murder. And as I hear their stories, I realise that all of this began a long, long time ago for them with a series of failures in relationships, in communication, in resolving conflict, in having healthy boundaries or being safe. And that leads to a whole lot of um, hatred and resentment. And then some women go on to make some terrible mistakes. I love my work. I love meeting with people. And as I hear their stories, I realise that it's not just the life of the person who's been murdered that has been destroyed. It's actually a whole network of people. That, that person's family and friends are all impacted. And so is the perpetrator's family and friends. And I hear stories of children being removed, of alienation within families. And so women, when they come here, are often at a very, very low point. And I love the opportunity that I have to come in and to care for them. There is no counselling in a prison. And the chaplains have an amazing opportunity to just come alongside people and hear their stories. And one of the things that is a wonderful privilege for us and for me is that this is just the most amazing fertile ground for the gospel. People here are needing good news because they are feeling very hopeless and they're also needing instruction because they don't know how to live a different life and so a lot of what we do is listening and then explaining different ways, uh, uh, ways forward. So let me read the readings for today. The first one comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. And the second one comes from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17 and going to verse 26. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practises and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the, to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Coops. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Mowbray. I hope you've had a good week. Today, we're looking at the sixth commandment from the Old Testament, you shall not murder. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together to hear from your word. Please be with us now as we listen to your message and consider its application to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my wife and I were at church years ago, and my wife struck up a conversation with this older guy that had arrived there. He was visiting, and they spoke for ages. It was literally hours. And when we were driving home, I asked her what they were chatting about, and she turned to me and she said he was a murderer. This guy had killed men, and he'd come to church because he was looking for forgiveness. I was driving, so I couldn't take a step back, but if I was standing there, I would have. It was really confronting. The idea of murder is just shocking, isn't it? We just know it's wrong. So in one respect, this commandment just seems straightforward, doesn't it? Just don't murder. That's the Bible verse. That's the application. Short sermon today. But there's more to it than that, because the commandment addresses where it ends, which is murder, But where does it start? The commandment actually points to something that starts inside of us, in our hearts. So picture this. I'm 21, first job in electrical engineering, and I'm being put through a trade school. And we had to make these projects in metalwork, so I loved it. And one of them that we had to make was a metal clasp, and I'd rushed into this and rushed through it because I wanted to move on to the next project. And the next project was a bench vice, and anyone who knows would realise a bench vice is far more useful. But you had to get a pass mark on the class before you could move on. So I took this class to one of the instructors and I asked him to mark it. So he measured it and he looked at it and he said, no, not good enough, make it again. But that wasn't my plan, right? So I argued back. But he was a big man and, and he wasn't used to being argued with. So he took out his big hammer and he used it to put a big hole in my work, all while yelling at me, do it again. Well, it's fair enough. He was the instructor. But it's fair to say I disliked that man in that moment a lot. But did I want to murder him? No, of course not. But I was angry. Because he was in my way and I want him out of my way so I could get on with what I wanted to do. He stood between me and my bench vice project. What if it wasn't a bench vice? What if it was $10 million? Well, back then I was single. So what if he was between me and the girl that I wanted to marry? What then? Like how far would it have to go before what I want moved from anger to something else? Now I reckon we've all felt like that about people who've just got in our way. Probably for most of us just this week. And if you have, then like me, this commandment, it points to something inside of us, right there in our hearts. 
So as I mentioned last week, this commandment was given to God's people, the Israelites. God's rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them to Mount Sinai. And they've been given these 10 commandments by which they are to live. And this sixth commandment in Exodus 20 verse 13 says, You shall not murder. Because it's wrong. And we all know it is. Back in Genesis 1 verse 27, way back in the beginning of the Bible, we're made in the image of God. Even people who deny there's a God will agree that murder is wrong. We all know it's true deep down because we're made in God's own image. He gives life. And so it's not for us to take it away. We don't have the right to murder. But what does the word murder in that commandment actually mean? There's a nuance there. It's not accidental killing. There was provision made for that in Deuteronomy 4, verse 41. It says, Then Moses set aside three cities east of the Jordan, to which anyone who'd killed a person could flee if they'd unintentionally killed a neighbor without malice or forethought. They could flee into one of these cities and save their life. So if one of the Israelites killed someone accidentally, they could go and live in what they called a city of refuge and they'd be safe from revenge. And there's other passages in the Old Testament and they show other circumstances where uh, killing isn't considered murder. So killing in national defense, like war, for example, that's not murder. Or killing that occurs in self-defense, that might not be considered murder. Take Exodus 22 verse 2. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. So the word murder here in this sixth commandment, it means to intentionally kill. It's to kill with premeditation. And if you think about that, that's an act that's the most final thing that we can do to be separated from anyone, isn't it? You can't push someone away more strongly than to murder them. Murder's the extreme end point. But the desire to push away starts in our heart. Jesus explains it in Matthew 5 from verse 21. And there Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, and Raka is like a derogatory term, means like empty head. Anybody who says that is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he murders the end point, but Jesus shows us the intent of the law. It starts as an attitude in our hearts toward others. And actually, it's reflecting a sinfulness that exists inside ourselves. So when someone gets in our way, we want them gone so that we can get on with what we want. And that's probably the key three words there, what we want. And most of us won't end up carrying out that extreme end that's murder, but you can see it points to self-interest. But Jesus takes it further. From verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. 
So here, Jesus is talking about Jewish people coming to the temple in Jerusalem, bringing a gift or a sacrifice to God, as they did back then. And the line to the temple would have been pretty long. And this has only happened once or twice a year. And remember that Jesus' disciples who were listening to him speak there from Galilee, which is 120 kilometers from Jerusalem. No train stations back then, so it's a long walk. So imagine you're in that long line and you remember someone has something against you. We should notice in the text there too, it's not something that you've done wrong that you remember or even that you're angry. No, it's somebody has something against you. And it's so important to present yourself before God reconciled with your Christian brothers and sisters that if you have to do the 240 kilometer round trip again, so be it. Just don't present yourself to God unless you've tried to reconcile. See, reconciliation is the direct opposite of murder. It's unity over separation. And the commandment is the passive thing. Just don't murder anyone. But just to not murder is not keeping the intent of the commandment. The flip side, the active part of it, is to deal with our own selfishness. Not to break off relationship with people by pushing them away. And when there is a problem, be willing to reconcile. I used to work in a factory years ago with people that had been there 20 years And some of them had grudges that stretched way back then, right back to when they started. And it was just toxic. And these guys, they never reconciled because it's so hard. And it is hard, isn't it? It's hard when we feel, particularly when we feel we're the one that's been wronged. But actually, Jesus shows us the way to achieve reconciliation. It starts with forgiveness. And he showed us because in some way we all reject the creator God. We'd all prefer to run our lives our own way, the way we think's right. And that's a desire for separation, isn't it? To some extent, if we ignore what God wants for our lives in any aspect, what we're really saying is, get out of my way. I want to get on with what I want. And if you look at it like that, it's like we've got something against God. We've wronged him. And God won't let that just go on and on. We'll all die and face judgment for it. But God acted to reconcile with us. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And once we accept and believe it, we're pardoned. Pardoned for pushing back against our creator. Pardoned for all our sins, no matter what we've done. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Like, what a gift. If we truly know we're forgiven and being given something so very valuable as eternal life with God, it frees us. We know we have more than we could ever wish for or could ever want. It gives us the generosity to extend forgiveness to our own broken relationships. And those guys that I worked with, they hadn't done the forgiveness bit that comes before reconciliation. And reconciliation might not always be possible. That takes both parties. But forgiveness, forgiveness rests with us. And it's hard because when we feel like we've been mistreated,
forgiveness means giving up the right to feel mistreated and that's really difficult but it's not harder than what Jesus did for us as Colossians 3:13 says bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you that's the intent of the commandment but the commandment also has some direct implications for some of the current debates in our society and particularly around unplanned pregnancy and euthanasia. It's really difficult to cover these topics in any real depth, um, particularly in this format. So I'm going to post in the chat box some resources for people who'd like to think more about it. An unplanned pregnancy and, and dealing with that, it's a difficult topic when you hear some of the stories. You can't help but feel compassion when you hear them and especially for women in unplanned pregnancy. And we can all think of examples where there's circumstances or the actions of other people cause suffering for women. And still I know of a woman who was born because of what I reckon are the most difficult circumstances that I can think of that led to her mother's pregnancy. And her daughter came to know the Lord Jesus. And her daughter was so thankful that she was given the chance to grow up and to do that. See, we don't know God's plan and what it might be for any person and we can't make that decision for him. And circumstances, if they've confronted us where we've made a different decision to that lady's mother, there's real forgiveness through Jesus. So please hear that. If we've turned to him, then we know God's grace and there's no condemnation. And the topic of euthanasia. Well, by euthanasia, I don't mean stopping treatment or... um switching off machines or using pain-reducing drugs that could have serious side effects for the patient. I mean taking the deliberate decision. Well, we're blessed, aren't we? In this modern age, we've got the ability to ease a lot of suffering, the suffering that comes along in disease or in old age. But it doesn't mean we won't suffer. And that's really hard. It's hard for the patient. It's hard for those watching. But Christians know that God is a God who suffered. Jesus suffered terribly for us, but he did it because he knew God had a bigger plan. I read a book by a, a Christian guy who had cancer, and he suffered through his treatment. But what it did was made him so determined to get people to look at Jesus, he'd stop people from leaving his bedside. He tells of how he gripped their arm until they promised to take a look. And then when he did recover, he wrote a book. And it's a book that shares Jesus. Now, I've got a couple of copies. It's this one. If you don't know Jesus and you'd like to read it, email me and I'll come and drop a copy off to you. Now, how many have come to know forgiveness and life because of the things that man did in the midst of suffering? We can't always see the bigger picture. And we don't see things from the same perspective as God. And so even with human suffering in our view, the commandment means we can't support anything that takes away, that's, takes away what's been made in his image. We don't have God's perspective, but we do have his son. And no matter what you've done or what decisions you might have made, if you've turned to him in faith, then you're reborn. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you know Jesus, then you're renewed, you're forgiven and you're purified in the eyes of God. Remember that guy that my wife was talking to way back at the beginning of the talk? He's forgiven if he's turned in repentance to Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord, you're forgiven. For us, every day is an opportunity to seek reconciliation and start fresh, secure in forgiveness, secure in the life we have in Jesus. Such wonderful news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life you sacrificed for us in your Son so that we could be pardoned for all our wrongdoing, both past and future. Help us, Father, to rest in that and by your Spirit find the courage to forgive and seek reconciliation with those around us. Give us courage, Father, to make wise choices regarding life. And keep us, Father, in your mercy, always confident in our forgiveness and salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.